God's grace, peace, and His mercy be with you on this third Sunday of Advent. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. You may not think I'm a competitive person, but I actually am with one thing and one thing only, Microsoft Solitaire, the Windows 10 version where you can play tournaments with others online. Yeah. Jill and I play it together every night as a team, and whenever it looks like we're not going to finish in first place, I give up. I just get so frustrated. I'm a sore loser. But I joke about it with her, and I say, you know, I know, honey, I'm not a competitive person, except with this one thing, and I just can't help myself with this game. It's, it's who I am. It's my identity. <laughs> and Jill will say, say something like, well, then you need to stop. You know. In truth, my identity is firmly rooted in Jesus Christ. So I feel I can, jo- I can joke about having these other identities, like being a competitive person. But it's no joke, really. It's no joke that people place their identities in so many things. Now think about this. A generation or two ago and more, going further back, you know, your grandparents, uh, their parents, and so forth, if you were to ask them what their identity was, what would they say? You know, what did people place their identity in in generations of long ago? Okay, well, it might have been that, yeah. Yeah, nationality, right? That was, uh, that was the thing, right? I'm Irish. I'm Norwegian. You know, I'm full-blooded Italian, that kind of thing. Now, today, you don't know what you're going to hear if you ask somebody what their identity is. It, it, it could be anything. It'll be anything from sex, persuasion, their vocation, You know, like the farmer, but that's more traditional, right? Uh, How about their experiences in life, right? I'm a cancer survivor, some might say. That's their identity. Because that's a big thing in their life. Anything under the sun could be someone's identity or who they are. What's your identity? We could probably spend hours talking about our individual identities, and we can't do that now. Then what about our identity as a people, as a congregation, as a church? What's our identity together? Well, we can say we are sinners, but we are saints too at the same time, right? We are forgiven and righteous before God, justified by His grace alone, through faith alone, on the basis of Jesus' death and resurrection. But there is another aspect to our identity. I look around here, I look out here. We're all Gentiles, right? Uh, Christian congregations in America are made up mostly of Gentile people. Now, if, if you're a Jew and a Christian... Stay with me, but I don't think any of you are. We do have one in our congregation, but this message is for them as well. But we must keep in mind that God did not give promises directly to the Gentiles. 
He didn't make himself the God of the Moabites or the Edomites or the Egyptians or the Assyrians. He didn't gather the people of the Chinese dynasties or the Olmecs or the Mayans. And he didn't make them his people out of all the other peoples on the earth. He came to one specific people on a very, very small patch of the planet. He made himself the God of the people Israel, Abraham and his descendants. He's the God of Moses, the God of Joshua, the God of David, King of Israel for a time, the God of Elijah, the God of Isaiah and the prophets, the God of Ezra and Nehemiah and Paul. As the Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Christians in Rome, they are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises to them, Israel, to them being the patriarchs from their race according to the flesh is the Christ, the Messiah, who is God over all. Man, if you're a Jew and you believe this, you've got it all. <laughs> he came to you first and you got everything, everything of God. He's given his all to you first. Where does that leave the rest of us, Gentiles? Where does that leave the rest of us then, living at the ends of the earth? We're proud of our different ethnic heritages and history. But in terms of relating to God, we're the nations, the other nations, the Gentiles. Paul explains this a little bit more in his letter to the church in Ephesus. He says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, <laughs> he'll say this a lot, you Gentiles in the flesh, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, the Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise having no hope and without God in the world. Oh, man, that sounds hopeless, doesn't it? What Paul says in Ephesians still applies, though. We are Gentiles by ethnicity, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants and promises without true hope and without the true God because he is the God of Moses and the prophets. Now, that sounds like a problem, doesn't it? for those of us who are not of the house of Israel. But the apostle goes on. But now in Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, the Messiah. In the fullness of time, the God of Israel, who is the almighty creator of the heavens and earth, sent his only begotten son into this world to join the human race. He took upon himself human nature and became one of us. He came from the line of David the king and he was and he is Israel's Messiah, the one and only Christ. And he willingly gave up his life for Israel and for all the nations, all Gentiles. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. 
By his shed blood, you, <laughs> you Gentiles have been brought near to the true God and to his promises. Through the means of grace, he gives you the benefits of his saving work. Through holy baptism, the God of ancient Israel connected you Gentiles to Jesus and his death and resurrection. Through the gospel, the God of Israel reconciles you to himself and to each other. God has graf grafted you Gentiles into his Israel. Now, is this some accident of history? Not at all. For 2,000 years now, God, the God of Israel has been fulfilling his promises spoken through Isaiah 2,700 years ago in Jerusalem. Throughout the entire scroll of Isaiah, if you read it, we can see this promise that one day Gentiles from around the world will stream, stream to the God of Israel. Now, we want as much data from the source to stream to our electronic devices, don't we? <laughs> we don't want any interruptions. We don't want any, any bottlenecks of data streaming. We want it to go directly into our eyes and ears. Imagine then, God calls people from all of the world to hear his call and stream to him without interruption, without delay, without any bottlenecks in <laughs> the service. And now, you heard this example in the reading from Isaiah. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. A highway, not a footpath where it's single file and, and people going opposite directions have to wait and there's a bottleneck, but a highway, an autobahn, a freeway, multiple lanes where the traffic can just go straight on through. And listen to this. And Assyria will enter into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria. And Egypt will serve Yahweh with Assyria. In that day, Israel will be a third with respect to Egypt and Assyria, a source of blessing in the midst of the earth, each of whom Yahweh of hosts will have blessed by saying, Blessed be my people Egypt, and the work of my hands, Assyria, and my inheritance, Israel. And we don't hear these kinds of things very often. You know, and, and, I, and I know what you may be thinking. Besides, is he done yet? <laughs> You're wondering why I said earlier that God was not the God of the Egyptians and the Assyrians, yet Isaiah seems to be saying otherwise here. What's going on? Well, you wouldn't be alone if you're confused. Isaiah's original hearers must have, thought, must have thought he was nuts when they heard this. Because in his day, Assyria and Egypt were the two big powers in competition with each other. And tiny Israel was stuck in the middle of these two powers in a kind of tug of war. Remember on Advent, the first Sunday of Advent, the king of Assyria mocked little old Israel. He mocked the God of Israel. No God was a match for his power. 
Assyria wanted to conquer Jerusalem. And, well, Egypt had her own gods. But Isaiah promised a day would come when Gentiles, even Gentiles like Assyria and Egypt, will gladly serve the God of Israel and so be reconciled with each other. The day will come when Israel will have fulfilled its call to be a source of blessing to the Gentiles. The day is coming when even Gentiles like Egypt and Assyria will be called Yahweh's own people and the work of His hands. Isaiah promised the day when Gentiles and the people Israel will be made one and will be, they'll belong to God as His own people. Now again, you may be wondering, is this promise really going to come true? Or has it, has it come true or not? Because today, Egypt and the nations around Israel are Muslim. This is perplexing, but it doesn't mean God hasn't kept His promises or that they won't be fulfilled. God promised that through Abraham's offspring all the families of the earth would be blessed. Jesus of Nazareth became and becomes Israel reduced to one person. And through this offspring of Abraham, we Gentiles, having been blessed, including the Gentiles in Egypt, or wherever those who hear and believe are. There are Christians in Egypt. There are Christians in Jordan and Syria and Iraq and Iran. Not as many as we would like to see, but they are there. The Apostle Paul says this about you Gentiles. And if you Gentiles are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. That's you and me, folks, and anyone on this globe who will listen and believe. See, the gospel went to the lands of Egypt and the Assyria, which is not really Syria today. It's more like Iran, those northern uh, countries. But it's gone to those places. And there have sprung up Christian communities. You and I here today and Christians everywhere are part of the fulfillment of God's promise to be the Savior of Israel and all nations. So, I ask you again, what's our identity? We belong to the God of Abraham the God of Moses and the prophets, the God you can hear and read about in the first 39 books of your Bible. He is our God. He has an amazing history. And His time in His mother's womb and in His birth in Bethlehem are just a part of it. There's so much more, including His plan to save you and me from our sin. And to wrap us in his arms, raise us up out of sin and death, and make us his children forevermore. You and I are part of it, Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. We belong to the God of Israel. That's who we are. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.